Matt Canada was asked yesterday about that 4th and 10 play, and you know exactly which 4th and 10 play I'm talking about. And this was the offensive coordinator's entire response. We just didn't execute it as we hoped. We called a play. We had guys in the end zone. Guy, you know, it just didn't work. So, bad play. Plays that don't work are bad plays. Oh, my. Good morning to you. Good Friday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Steelers. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into hockey and or baseball. I also offer up Daily Shots of Penguins and Pirates where you found this. Canada had a lot of different ways he could have gone with that answer. A lot of different ways. He also had four full days to come up with it. Understand, for anybody who doesn't know this, that we reporters only have access to the Steelers coordinators, offensive and defensive, one day a week. That's Thursday. No game access, no post-game access, only on Thursday. Four full days for a guy whose job is planning things to come up with that response. A short response. But contained within that response was, we had guys in the end zone. Well, who would be responsible for that, right? Right? Fourth and ten. Ben checks down faster than you can say check down to Najee Harris who is immediately swarmed by not one, not two, not three, not four, but five Cincinnati Bengals. is <laughs> taken down in what looked like a mob crime. After the game, Mike Tomlin suggests that the Steelers had run out of plays. He actually did that. <laughs> and at the same time, talking about this picket fence defense that Cincinnati was applying, meaning they had a whole string of guys that were lined up back across the goal line, they weren't going to give anything to the Steelers that was going to be short. When Ben is asked about the play, Ben says, in addition to acknowledging the picket fence, that Najee was supposed to have a bunch of wide receivers blocking for him. Well, he had none. I mean, like zero. There wasn't anybody near him wearing the same color jersey. Just a bunch of Bengals. Because the picket fence went and collapsed on him. You know why? The wide receivers went into the end zone. So Canada finally gets a chance to answer this, and he says, we had guys... In the end zone. Wow. Wow. This portion of Daily Shot of Steelers is brought to you by Point Park University. Choose from nearly 100 career-focused programs leading to bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees. Choose when and how you'd like to do that studying, whether it's at Point Park's downtown campus, whether it's online, maybe a flexible hybrid format works best for you. Find out more at pointpark.edu. I don't know that we're ever going to be able to find out more about that particular play. I don't know that we need to. And that's not even why I'm bringing it up today. This isn't to try to do some forensics thing. 
on a game that's long since been over and done with. Rather, it's to try to look at something that's a lot more significant, I'd say. And that's that either this coordinator has no ideas, per the head coach, has no respect for his Canton-bound franchise quarterback, or, most frightening, has no idea what actually happened. Has no idea. I really trying so hard, my friends, to not bury this coordinator after three National Football League games. And every time I want to, every time I've had that thought at any point during any of the three games so far, there's been a drive. And you know what I'm talking about. There's been a drive. There's been a a string of 13, 14 plays, whatever it is, where you go, whoa, hey, where'd that come from? That actually looked pretty good. Or those couple of occasions where the Steelers have been near the goal line and they've scored on these really imaginative, creative inside handoffs and things like that where the other team genuinely had no idea who was going to get the football and even after they got the football, who had it? That's to the coordinator's credit. There have been some pretty plays drawn up. But one does not survive in the NFL jungle on the occasional pretty play or the occasional string of pretty plays. What has to be carved into this offense is an identity. Occasional pretty play is not one of them. He, Matt Canada, is the one who has to solve what's at hand with the players at hand. And yes, unfair as it seems, that includes this horrific offensive line. It's incumbent on him. Now, he did acknowledge yesterday, Canada did, that the offensive line is simplifying some of the schemes or getting away from some of the more ambitious zone-blocking stuff that had been worked on all through the summer, apparently now just getting flushed down the commode, and they're just being told to block straight ahead. See that guy in front of you? Block him. End of play. Don't worry about left or right or pulling or uh, motion or anything like that or picking up blitzes or stunts. Find a set of eyeballs, lock in, and block. And if that comes to pass Sunday afternoon in Green Bay, Wisconsin, then that, that's going to be a good thing. I believe that. I was saying on this show before training camp started that I had concerns about all this elaborate blocking stuff with this ridiculous amount of inexperience on the line. What were they thinking, if anything? There are a lot of puzzle pieces, and they, like Canada's offense, are in motion. Here's what he had to say yesterday on the general state of the offense. I think, you know, we're going to stick with what we're doing, and obviously that's not the answer, and that's not the sexy answer, but, you know, we believe we're, we're you know, we're on the right track. We've got to get some cohesion up front. We're working to get that. 
you know, it's not an excuse. We've got to produce right now. So we're not running away from it or hiding from it, but we have to continue to do what we're doing. We've got to continue to put our guys in position to make plays, which until we win, when we win, we're not doing that well enough. So that falls on me, but we're not going to, we're not going to try to reinvent the wheel. We, we believe, you know, it's fundamental football. No matter, everybody's doing the same stuff. It's fundamental football. We have to be better, and i got to be better. Lots and lots and lots of work ahead. And I'm talking about just before they get to the land of the cheeseheads. When we come back, just one question. Welcome back. It's time for Just One Question. That's brought to you always on this program by the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George, LGKG. They represent people who are hurt in car accidents, who've filed for workers' comp, who need help with medical malpractice claims. The attorneys at LGKG have been keeping promises to their clients in our region for over 80 years. Learn more at lgkg.com or by calling 888-842-5454. Our J1Q comes from Ben, who says, There seems to be a vocal subset of Steelers Nation It's perpetually calling for Mike Tomlin to be fired. Not only am I not one of that subset, I happen to believe he's one of the best coaches in the game. Stubborn, yes. Resistance change, maybe. Over-reliant on his guys despite performance, sure, at times. But he's still an excellent coach. My question is, what do you think it would take for Tomlin to actually be fired? I don't think they will be. I mean, that's the best answer that I can give you, Ben, in terms of attempting to be accurate. I don't see the day that Art Rooney, who, by the way, is the only one who could make a decision of that scale, looks at the Steelers' performance and says, my head coach is the problem. I'm not saying I couldn't see that day. I just don't see Art Rooney seeing that day because in his mind, whether he's right or wrong, what we're talking about isn't whether we think he should be fired, but whether he will be fired. In Art Rooney's mind, Mike Tomlin has withstood every test, including the test of time. He's shown all the energy and the enthusiasm you want. He's shown a consistency that's borderline historic in the NFL, as you referenced. And that's the sort of thing that the Steelers and the Rooney family have valued. But to attempt to take your question in the most literal sense, which is what would it take? I mean, anyone can be fired. You know, you can do stuff, whatever, that's you know away from your job, away from the field. In this case, not that I'd ever expect that of an exemplary citizen like Mike Tomlin. But you're asking, what would it take? I think it would almost have to be something at that scale. Or if you want to get down to just football, it would have to be that the Steelers would look like they're quitting. Not to sound like Tyler Boyd here, but they'd have to look like They've lost it. They've lost the fire. They've lost the edge. Because if you think about what's really made Tomlin the coach that he is, he's never been some great X's and O's guy. 
He's been a guy that's been able to get his team up for games. All 16 of them in years past, including when they were really down. Remember 0-4? They ended up that season at 500 from 2-6 and to 6-2. and They had other seasons where they turned things around, but then the last two or three years, it's gone the other direction. It's gone the other direction. And now, even though Tomlin himself really hates connecting seasons, the ugly truth is this team is one and two, and we can talk about that, or we can talk about them being two and seven over their last nine. That's including the Cleveland game. And if that sort of thing continues, if you see his greatest strength being wasted for whatever reason, his message would be lost etc. Then you'd start looking at it. But plain old performance? Nope. Not a chance. Not a chance. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Steelers. I'm flying up to Green Bay tomorrow to cover the game. And I'll have a Daily Shot of Steelers unsurprisingly for you ready Monday morning from Wisconsin. Thanks for listening.